For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another edition of More Than a White Man's Game, a baseball podcast on the House of L Network. I'm your host, Maddie Lee, and this week we're actually having two guests on. They're co-authors of a book that I'm just going to tease right now, and we'll get to the actual title and the reason behind it in just a minute. But first, I've got to give you a little backstory for this all to make sense. I know we talk about baseball here on this podcast, but I am also a brand new hockey fan. And when I say brand new, I mean brand, brand new, as in I'm from Seattle, got excited about the Kraken, and then realized if I'm a Kraken fan, I should probably know, you know, the basic rules of hockey, that sort of thing. So I called on, if you guys know, Evan F. Moore, going with the full names here on this introduction, he is a writer for the Sun Times. He covers culture and entertainment for them. Uh, also, real big into hockey. And so he's been helping me with my basic hockey knowledge. He sent me several YouTube clips on rules and such. So whatever I, whatever knowledge I have for the inaugural season of the Kraken... All credit goes to him. It's been, he's been phenomenal. Uh, but he also, he's one of those people who, because I moved during a pandemic, we only know each other through Twitter. And he listened to the podcast, which is awesome. And he reached out and told me that he liked it, uh, which is a good time now to tell you guys all to rate, subscribe, all of that. Give us five stars. Uh, but we went back and forth and I started thinking about his book, which I has been on my radar for a while now. It's called Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It. And I'm super excited about this book. I have it pre-ordered. It comes out in October. And I got to thinking like, Yes, I host a baseball podcast. That is what we do here. But how perfect would it be for a podcast called More Than a White Man's Game to go into a book called Game Misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture, and How to Fix It? I do think there's a lot of value in different sports, learning from each other. And we'll get into some of that, but it just seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up. I, I'm sure there's plenty of hockey and 
baseball fan crossover here in Chicago. And if not, like, I'm here along for the ride with you if you do not know much about hockey. But these are definitely issues that there are parallels with baseball for sure is what I started finding as I talked to Evan and because we're super lucky also got his co-author Josh Vina Shaw incredible hockey writer so glad that she could make the time I got to meet her on this uh, zoom call so both Evan and Josh Vina came on to talk about their new book and after we'll get to the interview in a second and then afterwards I'll give you some of my thoughts on how it ties into baseball so let's bring in that interview Evan Joshvina thank you so much for joining me and I'm so excited to talk about your book oh, oh yeah I mean it's uh, definitely uh, interesting how all this all uh, put together and who would have thought in 2021 that a black man from the South South Chicago and a South Asian woman from New Jersey are putting together a, put together a hockey book that will probably piss a lot of folks off. At least a amount, at least. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, a little bit of anger sometimes gets the wheels rolling, right? Uh, So let's start there with, I want to hear the origin story of this book. How did the idea for a book on this topic come about, and how did you two start working together? It actually all started with a tweet, (laughs) as most things do nowadays. Um, Something or the other had made me mad about hockey again, so I just, like, tweeted out there, someone should pay me to write a book on hockey's toxic culture. And I meant it but I also didn't really mean it I was kind of just saying it and then um a bunch of people were like yes please write it and then Evan reached out to me he said you know what I was thinking of doing something like this do you want to co-write it so I was like sure and that was really how it happened wow that's awesome did you guys know each other before that or just kind of twitter friends Um, it was twitter friends but we actually met in person a few years ago, she was in town. She was in town covering the uh, the Frozen Four, you know, the NCAA hockey tournament, and I was covering it for the Daily Herald at the time. And she was there with, um, I think it was Kyle's Hockey News, I think it was. And and I remember most honestly is like um, she had um, her curling iron iron getting her hair together. <laughs> you know, we're all at the table. We fight some of y'all, some of the ladies and other folks who got a lot of hair who. You're on the beat, probably had to do something like that at some point. So I was just like, okay, she really, I was like, I was my first person, okay, she really, you know, getting it done. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I, sorry, I totally, I've like completely forgotten about Chicago because I just like blocks it out. (laughs) But I, I have like no recollection of doing that, but that sounds exactly like something I would do. That's so funny. So you two have the beginnings of an idea, right? But hockey's toxic culture covers a lot. And I know you guys cover a lot in this book between racism, homophobia, xenophobia, bullying, sexism, violence, all of that. 
how did you go about, I guess, kind of narrowing the focus within those topics, deciding what all you wanted to cover? Because I'm sure you could have written like seven books on those topics combined. Yeah, well, I mean, because oh, as for me, uh, the blind spot was kind of like was um, the intricacies and nuances of youth hockey and college hockey, and that's right up, you know, that's in right in Josh Phoenix's wheelhouse. And for me, obviously, issues with diversity and uh, and some of the stuff I had seen, like playing, you know, um, being a fan growing up, but also. Later on in life, uh, learning how to skate and learn how to play and being in on um, beer league teams is something I noticed over time. So uh, we kind of put our uh, – kind of like the Avengers, you know, we put together our uh, different um, uh, different things we were, uh, that we were more uh, of an expert in and we put that together. But it was stuff I had – when stuff she wrote, the chapter she wrote, I had a couple things, and, and some of the chapters I wrote, she had a thing. So it was uh, completely – uh, collaborative uh, all the way through and I would say like he looked at my text message text messages from the past year it's like I would say like 70 to 75 percent is uh Jasmina <laughs> yeah I mean no it when when you say um you could write seven books about this like I have people going up to me and being like for the sweet sequel and I'm like no I can't do that <laughs> please um but yeah, because each topic definitely within itself could be a book on its own. And I mean, I think it's necessary to cover a broad range of topics. And I mean, it's it's so hard. It was it was really hard to kind of narrow it down to like, okay, these are this is what we're gonna focus on. These are the examples we're gonna pick, and this is um, what we're gonna write about it. Uh, because it, it's it's really hard to like cover all the nuances um, of these different topics and really look into, you know, why it happens in such a short amount of space. I mean, I think the benefit is that um, there are some over, there are some similarities, like, or not similarities, but it kind of overlaps in the way that um, things happen and how they get dealt with. Like, I ended up taking um, like sexual assault, domestic violence, um, systemic abuse, and hazing because they all sort of fall under like the similar category. So that kind of um, helped me in the sense that when you're addressing why one thing happens, you're not just applying it to one topic, you're also applying it to these other topics because, you know, systemic, why systemic abuse happens has a lot to do with why bullying and hazing still happens. Like, it, it's all sort of intertwined like that. So, like, that kind of made it a little bit, that was kind of the benefit about tackling all these topics at once. Um, you know, they do have, each topic also has, like, its own, some, they have it, their own specific reasons as to why it happens, but, you know, like, toxic masculinity is a big reason why we have things like homophobia, why we have things like sexism, so um, sort of tackling all these different topics, it was helpful that that was the case, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense, and so you're able to point to these kind of through lines that you wouldn't have been able to if you're not if you're not taking such a, a expansive approach. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys have, do either of you have a favorite chapter? I have a uh, favorite chapter. 
good question, honestly, because I, um, I always catch myself, even even that we, even though we've uh, officially had, you know, turned in the book and it's be it's uh, been copy edited and and fact checked and everything else, I do find myself looking at the old document at times, and I'll say I, I think the chapter about. I won't say it's a chapter, it's more so like uh, a subset in the chapter where we talk about white backlash in the NBA. And mm-hmm. and growing up in, I guess not really growing up in Chicago, but I'm one of the few people I know of that follows hockey and basketball pretty much at this, you know, pretty intent, intense about it. Mm-hmm. And over time, I just noticed, particularly locally here in Chicago, when the Blackhawks were doing really well and the Bulls were kind of doing, you know, I but you had, you know, Derrick Rose and Joe Kino and Luol Deng and all these guys. And we all know, like, basketball here in Chicago is like no other. And you know, the start is hearing on Sports Talk Radio about Blackhawks fans, like, not liking the coverage the Bulls are getting. And it progressively and progressively, this, in, my, in my view, got more racist and racist, you know. And, and I've been writing about this stuff for a long time, like, just noticing – how players, how a Derrick Rose, how a LeBron James, another mm-hmm. and Dwayne Wade and Melo and all the NBA guys, how how they're talked about in turn and how hockey guys are talked about. You know, you, you got somebody like you know a Patrick Kane or a Jonathan Taze, and their that fan base views them as oh the kid next door who made good, and they look at you know the aforementioned NBA player as people who who didn't deserve what they got or spoiled their selfish. And you think about it, you know, LeBron James is an American success story, born to a teenage mother, lived in and out of housing projects, went back to the community and built a whole school thinking of all the things he needed at that age and provided for these kids. And you said, man, you covered NBA before. Like, you remember, like, that game where he, in the finals against the Warriors when he, Dunk, tried to dunk on uh, on Draymond Green and tried to end his career. He was working pretty fucking hard. He said, everybody <laughs> saw that shit. Like this is, you know. And so, yeah, that subset of that chapter is basically about why hockey had this inferiority complex with the NBA because the final, the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals happened virtually. I mean, you see these people like chirping at the NBA for for no good reason. Like hockey is an awesome sport. Why do you need to? prop yourself up by knocking down a sport that you say you don't like, you don't watch, but you can't stop mentioning it. Right. <laughs> right. Definitely taking up some uh, real estate in, in the heads. Um, Josh Bina, you said you have a least favorite chapter? Yeah, before I go to that, it's funny that, like, Evan mentions that, like, you know, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane, because Patrick Kane is, like, has done a lot of horrible things. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I guess <laughs> I, I guess I have varying degrees. Like there are chapters that I'm excited for people to read. There are chapters I absolutely hated writing that I didn't enjoy researching for. Um, I so I think it's like a combination of the two. I would say the part that I hated the most, but I think I am the most excited for people to read, is the one that tackles sexual assault and domestic violence. Um, which I'm sure there's plenty of Patrick Kane in that one. I actually, you know, it's funny. I actually didn't include him intentionally because I know that there's a lot of 
people like to use him as a reason to discredit um, sexual assault survivors because they're like, what happened with his his most recent case, which is just, it's so wild and it's really hard to untangle. And I think given the space we had that I wouldn't have been able to do it justice. So I, I took a look at examples where players have been, actually gone to jail for sexual assault and, um, you know, are either still playing pro hockey now or were playing pro hockey back in the day. Um, but that's like, that's part of the thing with like sexual assault and domestic violence is it's so complex to explain and it's so like difficult and it's just, it, <laughs> Like writing it in a way that people will understand the nuances that go behind it and, you know, the difference between someone not being proven guilty in court and whether they should still be playing and, you know, why most cases don't even go to court or why victims don't pursue them. Um, and then especially like with domestic violence, um, because and I, I we just really noticed with um, Jake Bertrand actually that the NHL still doesn't have a domestic violence policy. And like, it's not something that I'm as familiar with as I am with sexual assault and like trying to research and explain and like talk to all these people because the the question we're really, I was looking to answer is how do we prevent this from happening? And it was a really hard thing. And I talked to so many people and I ended up with all these quotes and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like I have to be able to answer it if I'm going to tell our readers. And it was really really difficult and I think it was really the last thing that I finished but I'd say that it was my least favorite chapter to write for sure um but I'm excited for people to read it because I think you know even looking back at what's happened recently like I think it's really helpful for people to know and like even now I see people explaining like oh like so and so shouldn't do this or like they shouldn't kick him off the team or like what if it's not proven in court and like you know I just we wrote through all of that so um, like, I kind of want to present it to people and be like, here, here you go. Please read this. Stop asking stupid questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would think that my favorite thing to write about was probably um, the structure, uh, because it, it makes no sense. And it's just hockey is such, such a unique structure. Um, and I'm fortunate that I've covered uh, men's and women's hockey at pretty much every level. Like, I've covered high school, um, prep. I've covered juniors, I've covered college, I've covered pro. So like, I know more than a lot of people, the ins and outs and how, how it relates to each other. Um, and that within that, like, there's a subset of like the cost of hockey and knowing the organization, the structure, like I know where there are costs that people don't really think of when it comes to hockey, which is a major barrier. Um, but it, it was really interesting to go through and realize that the structure in both Hockey Canada and um, USA hockey is just a total mess. And that's like a big reason why everything is as bad as it is right now. Well, you just mentioned obviously areas that you know really well. I'm sure, you know, both of you obviously have lived with some of these issues that you're writing about, but like you said, with the domestic violence, there's also some bits and pieces that maybe you're not as familiar with. Is there anything that sticks out? in the process of researching this book that like either set off a light bulb for either of you or that you just thought was an interesting thing that you didn't expect to learn? I guess for me, I remember um, one of our 
many texts to each other, you know, um, Jasmina asked me to, you know, tackle the section on, on ableism. And admittedly, it's a blind spot for me, you know, and you think of ableism, like on the top of your head, you think of a kid that's wheeled out for a Make Your Wits Foundation thing, a kid in a wheelchair, and, and they take a couple pictures smiling, and, and that's it. And speaking with um, a deaf hockey player and, and not, I didn't really, I mean, in the sense of our conversations were all through text when I was interviewing her for the, for the book. And then another person I, I know is his um, condition has to do with, um, cause he was a kid guy who grew up on the South side of Chicago and he, you know, was um, a veteran of the Iraqi of uh, uh, operation Iraqi freedom. And he's, he suffered a back injury in the army and, you know, him talking about how he had to explain to, you know, family, how he kind of feels some day to day and also, you know, reacting himself back into society after, you know, being in, you know, in the, in the service. And obviously other, you know, person I spoke with, um, they had um, some other conditions, but I don't want to give too much of that away. But yeah, this, it was something where I had to learn. We had to get out of, you know, I, I fasten myself as a progressive person but I've learned a lot from writing this book and I also have learned a lot from Jasmina I mean yeah I'm a black man who grew up in America and I have my stuff and I just use anything else but there are some blind spots in terms of how I see things in terms of how you know you or Jasmina may or any other woman may see things I have to sit back and think about like well okay well I didn't you know see it that way but now you know it's something that you know I, I keep in mind and inform and even in my own writing Mm-hmm. I'd agree with Evan there, like, um, which I think was really one of the benefits of co-writing this book is being able to learn from each other and have different experiences to um, piggyback off of. I think for me, it wasn't, there was a lot of stuff that I knew, but I didn't necessarily have like the hard facts to back it up. So I think what probably stood out to me the most is like I have, so my mom is a teacher. Um, I have a, I work for a nonprofit. So I work with kids right now. Um, I've tutored kids. Like I've been in youth serving organizations. Um, I was a teacher for a little bit. So like I have a very education extensive background, like working with kids. And it it's really like absolutely wild to me that there are people we put in charge of our children who we don't do a good job of vetting you know whether that's in terms of people what values are they imparting to our children or um, I don't know if you're familiar with it but and this is was actually something that I wasn't familiar with either but there there's a coach in Canada um, Graham James who was um, sexually abusing his players for a very long time and he continuously got away with it and you know just the lack of vetting and the lack of you know any kind of I don't, I don't even know how to say it, but it's like, you know, we're not putting enough due process and due thought into these people that we're entrusting with the safety of our kids. And like, I work for a youth serving organization right now. Like I know the background checks. I know the processes. I know the protocols that have to be followed before you entrust someone with a child. And it's just absolutely alarming to me that 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 it's not, we don't consider that when it comes to sports. And it's not just hockey. I mean, you see it everywhere. And now now more and more we're hearing these stories and it's just like, 
you know, it's still not changing. And that's just, I, it's, it's, it's wild to me that that's not changing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's terrifying. Um, Evan mentioned off the top, this book is going to piss a lot of people off (laughs) as you're going through it and, and talking back and forth. Like, what was your philosophy on like, how much do we want to, to really kind of poke the bear, right? How much, how much are we worried about people getting angry? How much do we think that that's a necessary piece of this? Um, and, and how are you thinking about your audience as you're writing this? I don't know. Like, I can't speak for Evan on this, but I will say for me, like, I crossed that threshold many years ago. So now I'm just full steam ahead. Like, whatever I, like, I, I don't even care anymore. I'm like, whatever, I'll be like, I'll say whatever I want. Um, so that's like, I'm not afraid of upsetting anybody because at this point, I've pretty much pissed off everyone who I am going to piss off. And the people <laughs> left standing by me are the ones that are going to be standing by me no matter what. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, I mean, as for me, I've been writing about a lot of this stuff for years, especially, you know, locally, and I've gotten some nasty stuff over the years, and I'm just kind of like, okay, you know, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not I'm not the one who put your fandom in a weird place. Your favorite player did. You know, and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and that's that's where that's where it's at. And I guess for me, um, I remember, like, it's in the book, uh, one of the chapters, like, at the very top, I talk about how, you know, I'm, when Colin, you know how Colin Kaepernick, like he'll like once in a while, like tweet something, and he tweeted about you know the July Fourth holiday, and he basically said like, hey, you know, black people were slaves at that time, you know, was this act was this true, you know, and and a member of the Chicago Blackhawks, we you know tweeted at him and said, you know, what white people usually say when black people you know, talk in, in this way, and they say, you know, like, hey, if you don't like this country, you know, leave, yeah. and. You know, I quote tweeted it, and I was like, well, yeah, you know, that people who love America or the most patriotic often, you know, criticize it. You know, you raised the tweet and everything else. So I thought about putting that person's name in the book, and I was just like, hey, I'm going to put this person on blast. I want all the smoke and the clouds. But (laughs) if I do that, you know, it's only going to be, you know, directed at that person. Everyone everyone says, oh, it's, it's only that guy and not the whole you know mm-hmm. issue and when that you know when that happens if you just um not say that person's name you're sitting there thinking about okay who's he talking about okay who's this who's that and it goes to what well, i'm not saying this person's racist or anything like that but it kind of it goes to the whole thing of how we look at racist behavior like um mm-hmm. a lot of people seem to think a lot of folks uh, particularly white people seem to think that it's something that's they have to the occasionally, you know, like the Olympics or Haley's Comet, and now they don't see it as something <laughs> and systemic that happens all the time. Oh, you know, the racism and, comments like today. <laughs> Get ready. Yeah, because it's like it's like you want to say it's racist, but it's like we they we only say that to black people. You know, like we you know, like we didn't say that to any of those fools that ran up on ran up ran up in the Capitol building trying to, you know, to kill mm-hmm. the cop and did all types of stuff. We don't say that to them, but and one person says, like, hey, bring up the fact that, hey, you know, that black people have a complicated legacy with, you know, with the July 4th holiday. You know, like, bringing that up is is not wrong. <laughs> it's not really, literally not wrong. But people jumping this guy mentioned, and, and you're just like, if someone is saying that who 
who we look to for information on your, I look to for information on my favorite hockey team. You can't be the only one that thinks that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't, pointing specific people out almost takes away from your point that. We hey, point we're names. We name names. Culture. I'm just saying like in general, like, you know, we name names. Name names on Twitter, but the book. Yeah. yeah. We're looking at the broad picture. It depends on who it is in the situation. Like, we definitely went after, we didn't go after, but we obviously talked about John Bambi's book pretty, pretty extensively. Um, so definitely, like, the public figures, the players, people in positions of power, um, like, and we even have, like, a section where we talked about the media and how they handle um, reporting on these topics. And in that case, it's like, yes, your name and attached to what you wrote. Um, but it's funny because I actually, I had, I had a coach asking me the other day, like, what are you doing? Are you like going after people? And I'm like, yes and no, like not really (laughs) like Evan was saying, but yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts. So you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I think that people, when you write a book that picked at their favorite sport in a negative way, they think we're trying to, like, as we're saying these days, cancel hockey. Like, no, we just mm-hmm. feel like a lot of conversations, you know, need to happen that's, that permeates the sport. I mean, there's a lot of issues. We talk about hockey because we both love hockey. It's our favorite sport. So we're going to talk about issues within that sport. So, I mean, yeah, do we talk about issues that that's happened in baseball and basketball and football and other sports? Yeah, we do mention that in the book, but our book is is – overarchingly you know hockey centric so right. we're going to talk about issues that have to do with like i said earlier i'm not we're not the ones who put your favorite coach or player or, or in a weird space man they put you in that space you know and you as the fan or the observer and you know it, it's a thing where it's like what i've seen from people talk about it or or anytime i've written about these issues and me or josephine or other folks have written about these these issues in the past, like even just to get the publisher to believe in us, you know, was a insurmountable task. Like we were on our third or fourth publisher when, when Triumph took us in, you know, and, uh, and I was actually shocked, you know, when they did, because they written a book, they written books about some of the people we've mentioned. And we were kind of like, how do they kind of feel about that? One book has them looking all in this pedestal. And we're like, that person is low key piece of shit. You really like, if you want to look, you know, like, but it's, you know, but, so it was a thing where it was like the publishers that we thought that would be down for the book, that would be a slam dunk, weren't. And the one that we thought wouldn't was. And I asked, and I, we had that conversation. I remember our first conversation, it kind of goes back to what I was saying a lot, or Brian, one of the people, the team, like, yeah, hockey player, they're so great, they're so down to earth. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's it. Like, you know, like, <laughs> why do we see them that way and not other athletes, mm-hmm. you know? And, so, yeah, it all kind of goes back to all of that, like having these tough conversations about a sport that's been allowed to operate in the cut and do, say and do some pretty awful shit. And what Josh Vino was mentioning about 
John Van Breedbrook. We don't want to get into the backstory because we want people to read it, but just, you know, imagine, you know, back when, you know, when Donald Sterling had to sell the Clippers because of all the stuff he did, and the very next game, he's sitting on the, he's sitting behind the team bench. Like, people would have lost their shit. It'd probably been a, a fight or two or three, you know, and because this sport operates in the cut, it doesn't have the, the scrutiny that the other sto- other three major sports has. They allowed they've been allowed to do some um, foul shit because of it. That's fascinating. Well, I want to go back to what you said about the publishers. Why do you think that it ended up being flipped with who you expected to jump for the book and who you expected to be more hesitant? I mean, in our field, I mean. We often we often talk to people who it's taken a page of uh, your last podcast with Russ, and in terms of you know having people like that in your corner and people you go to and when things happen, whatever. I talked to a lot of people I know that I look towards as mentors and for counsel who have written books, and they basically was like you know like hockey books and even in the states and even up north are a tough sell. And a hockey book talking about what we're talking about, there's not a book out there like this. I mean, there are books where they talk about racism or in certain ways and everything else, but we're taking like a, a pretty much wide view of why things the way they are. And there's times where, because I feel like people aren't really against diversity in hockey in the sense that, you know, they're not like, oh, yeah, I hear young uh, person who isn't white. You know, it's more so like when we start talking about these issues, why there's a lack of diversity. You just literally, I've done the interview, Josh Vina can probably speak to this too. I've literally had done interviews where like the air literally sucked out the room because we, I discussed some hard truths about some things and we have to talk about who, what, when, and where, and, and the why. We can't, we can't skip it. We get, it's, it's, we always, always tell people, you know, hockey needs therapy. I mean, it needs intervention. If you have any experience in, in um, therapy or intervention, you have to talk about the past because, how many times have we seen people in the past year because of social unrest and the pandemic was like, yeah, that's the past. So what can we do now? Like, no, nah, we got to talk about the past. Do we, there's a reason why people were so angry in the streets and doing things they normally wouldn't do because they literally saw, you know, somebody's calling for their dead mother while they were dying, which happened in Minnesota, which is like to call themselves the state of hockey. So, you know, we, we tie that in too. And, you just see these folks, all these, these all, all uncomfortable conversation. Nobody really wants to talk about you know, race in these ways. And we're talking about a sport where a lot of these people are friends. They're drinking buddies. They're, their kids go to the same school together. They're part of the same communities. And it goes back to, I'm being kind of long-winded here. It kind of goes back to a lot of reasons why I write the book, why I wrote the book, and also, you know, why I made the decision to have, my daughter, you know, and introduce her to hockey. And in the book, I discuss I was called an N-word by a teammate, and I didn't tell anyone about it. I, I internalized it. Like, and if something were that's like that to happen to her, I want her to, to say something right away. You got to kick the kid's ass on the ice right there? Good. We'll handle it. You know, let me let me take those shots, you know, and, you know, you can handle it right then and there. But I don't want her to be – because I'm 42, and this happened when I was a sophomore in high school. So if it still bothers me decades later, why I didn't say anything? I, my, even back then, I knew I, I had to 
put this in this situation in the hands of white people who historically have not done right by us when we tell them about these issues. So, you know, it's, uh, it was a lot to think about as I was uh, writing in and thinking about my own daughter and her mother's aware of like some of the stuff that, that happens with the sport. And unfortunately, so much has even happened since we turned in the book in January. <laughs> I mean, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I'm like, we can start it. We can do a part two right now. We want I, I just sent an email to our editor like over the weekend. Like, hey, I think we should add this. I know it's really late. <laughs> have, have similar things coming up for you, Josephina, where you're going through and, and it's just bringing up a lot of your personal experiences? Um, actually, I I don't think so. I think for me, it was cathartic to write through because I, I talk a lot about this stuff in like bits and pieces, but I never really get a chance to like look into it and explain it. And I think for my own benefit is being, being a survivor of sexual assault as well. Like I've always used journalism to cope with things. So to be able to look at it analytically and say like, this is what it is. Like, these are the facts is that was actually like very calming for me to do. Um, unfortunately, I also had to read about a lot of really awful stuff that happened to a lot of people. Um, like with the whole Graham James thing and just with other instances of sexual assault and all that stuff, which not even like personally triggering, it's just really awful to read about that happening to somebody. Um, but I know Evan said that you know, people don't really want to talk about this stuff and they don't, but what I did find that I may gave me hope is that I did find players who wanted to talk about this and players who talked to me for like three hours because we don't have anyone else to talk about it with and I think like that's that's a big step we have to figure out is we have good people and how do we empower them to be active bystanders instead of passive ones you know how do we empower them to um, be able to change something within their team when it's only one of them who believes in the right thing and everyone else believes in the wrong thing. Well, that's actually a really good transition to the last topic I want to bring up before I let you go. The last part of your book's title is how to fix it. And obviously, to get the full scope of it, we all have to go read your book, which I'm so excited to do. I have it on pre-order. Um, comes out in October, right? Yes. So, but if you were to just give kind of the bullet points for hockey fans what what can they start doing what what should they be aware of so this is where I take a long sip of beer and tell you that it can't be fixed (laughs) very long sip (laughs) I'm I'm being over dramatic I mean it's hard I think with the people who are in charge currently that's not to say there aren't things you can do. There are a lot of things that, that individuals can do, um, which I'm, I'm proud that myself and Evan have been able to, you know, find the answers to those questions. But when we think about, like, how to change the NHL, the NHL still doesn't have a domestic violence policy. Gary Bettman doesn't care. Like, if he doesn't care, it's not going to happen, which is, like, kind of the despair part. Um, which I'm trying to be like too despairy about it. But I mean, in terms of that, like it's kind of like hitting a brick wall and I honestly don't have an answer and nobody I talked to has an answer for that, except that you got to wait until these people, you know, someone I interviewed was like, we just got to wait until these people die. Hmm. 
which is shock, but like, how? You look at the makeup of the people who are in charge, you know, you look at John Van Beesbrook, like, it, where, where, where are we going to make that change? Yeah, I mean, as a, a person who, who's registered with U.S. hockey as a player and whose daughter is registered as a player, I mean, if, I mean, the guy they put in charge, one of the people they put in charge, as we know it, you know, most likely hates black people, you know? So, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, I've seen many views and everything else, but it's like, you know, he never, he never been pressed on of all, of, of all the words he could have used to, to shame a black player, his team captain, you know, he, he, he made a constant, a grown ass man made a constant decision to, to use those words on, on at least two different occasions that we know of, you know? So that's, that's clear. That's where it's at, you know, right there. If, I mean, they traded, they, they basically brought him back and tried to rebrand him. Like we didn't, like people didn't forget even like, even Trevor was like reportedly still pissed over. If he's still pissed, I mean, like, so, <laughs> so that like means something or account for something, you know? And, and uh, it's like, guess what? gotten people like us in trouble and why, you know, the folks behind the 1619 project are are in trouble with uh different folks where we were we taken this view on, you know, things like critical race theory and other things where we just like, well, we don't really see it getting better. It's not this isn't like, you know, isn't something where this is something that is systemic, is rotten to the core. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it might have to take some people, you know, going away one way or another to fix. But as we said in in all the pre-order links for the book and everything else, this book is for the modern hockey fan. If you don't think you're a modern hockey fan, you said, I guess, you know, do something else that do something else that day, you know. And but also if you know, I, I honestly hope that someone who may have these issues and think that we're doing something wrong by talking about this, like somebody around them, like reach the book and be like, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying like, if someone has some negative say, then go buy the book, but we like you at least, you know, think about it, you know, and we, we got to find a way to, I guess, try to get better at society when it comes to this stuff. But, but I honestly, you know, there's a lot historically to say it's never going to happen. But the thing is, with the whole book, people will try to say, like, oh, I didn't know about this and about this, that, and the third. Like, y'all been new. Like, this is, this isn't, we're, we're, this isn't something that people aren't aware of. It's, you've made a, you made a constant decision to stick your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people out there are, are, are like, no, we're going to talk about this. And it's honor to, to write, it was honor, it's an honor to write this book with, someone who's like-minded in that sense, but also we know that a lot of people are supporting us because they, they want to see change. A lot of people, like we put this out here, we're doing it. They sent us a bunch of stuff, a bunch of instances mm-hmm. and, and other things and, and, you know, studies and everything else. Like there's a concerted effort for people who want to see this book. And we have, we've had some people, that's been helping us on the way. We have some people that are doing it because of me or doing it because of her or doing it because of the both of us. So we have all these different groups and people, you know, that want to see us and, and especially the book succeed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was really shocked. Like I've been around division one hockey for over a decade now. And um, I, I know it very well, very, very, very well, unfortunately. Um, and I was really surprised. I, ha- I had a, a player who's a current division one player reach out to me actually and tell me he wanted to talk about it. And I was so incredibly shocked because I mean, it's mostly all white, but it, also like you take the NHL's problems and like it's even worse than college hockey like for so many reasons it's just worse um and I was really surprised I think at the people that I had who used to play hockey or you know are playing right now be like yeah I want to talk about this because this is ridiculous and I can't be the only one like this is insane why why is this happening and I mean like sort of along those lines I know like I was talking about um, the other day I was talking about Ryan Miller, um, cause he's retiring now and I interviewed him for the book and, you know, he's this pretty well-known, you know, rich white hockey player. Um, and to have him go on the record and like talk about what he's seen in terms of, um, the bigotry in hockey, I think is important because I'm not saying it's okay, but I do see that a lot of like white male players who are in college are just not going to say anything because they're like, no one else says anything. And if I say anything, I'm going to be kicked off the team. So I think it's important to see that there are people who are in those positions who are like you that are saying something. I don't know if I'm conveying this well, but um, something along like those lines. And I was going to say something else, but I forgot. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah I was gonna actually say that um I mean it sounds depressing when we're like yeah it's systemic I don't think you can fix it but I think it's important to really be aware of that because you can't go into a situation like you just can't go into a situation thinking that you can change it and it'll be all butterflies and magic and then you know keep running into this brick wall because you didn't realize this brick wall was a brick wall you know if you know the brick wall is a brick wall then you at least can pace yourself i think you have a better understanding of how you're going to run into this brick wall as opposed to if you think it's a wall like a grass wall and a hedge maze or something um because there are still things that you can do and i think the more people that speak up you know the more kids that speak up um the players that they teach who are below them like uh it's, it can, there are things that can change. And then in the hopes that we can at least make a dent in the way things are run right now. Sure. So if I'm understanding this right, to, to steal your metaphor, it's kind of like, you can't just run in with your shoulder into that brick wall and it's going to fall down. It takes, we're all going to have to go at it and, and chip away at it. And who knows how long that's going to take to chip away at a full brick wall, but at least we can start. Yeah. And also, cause if you run into it with your shoulder, you're going to break your shoulder and you're going to be miserable. So you have to know what you're getting into before you attempt to do it. For sure. Well, that's all I have for you guys, unless there's anything else you want to add. No, that's all I got. Um, you actually had the uh, the uh, honor of, of us getting both of us the first interview of both of us talking about the book together. So. I'm honored. Yeah, yep. so you can shoot out your uh, air horns and everything else. But, <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, so far it's just either her being on a podcast or me being on a podcast, but to have us together, like, this is the first time and knowing the missing of your show, I think it's great that you were able to, you know, 
interview with both. Yeah, and you got you two are definitely the first non-baseball guests I've had on here, but I think it really connects to. I think there's there's definitely some crossover between the systemic issues in baseball and the systemic issues in hockey, and I think it's it's neat to be able to to step back and hear about it in a different, I guess, field venue, however you want to put it, because. Yeah, we're all, even if we're in different uh, sports, we're, we're fighting against some of the same looming oh, yeah, things, <laughs> problems. I, yeah, we do talk about um, Alkin Panis and how scouting folks <laughs> that, you know, when in terms of scouting, how they view certain players from certain demographics. And... And when when Campana said what he said, you know, it was like, well, if he's uncomfortable saying that on TV, you know, he's obviously not the only one who thinks that way. And, you know, and when players are, it's kind of similar to NBA, not NBA, but NFL, when black players are kind of shuttled off, like our quarterbacks are then shuttled off to another position because they don't have like the the smarts or, or whatever. We saw that recently with Justin Fields. And, in hockey, that's it's called you know hockey sense. So it's virtually the same thing, you know. It's like, and then, and obviously in in baseball, there's a there's a big difference, a stark difference in in black in the number of black players, but also you know managers and, and front office folks. I mean, so it's virtually all the same thing. Yeah, and I I also think like there's a lot you can learn from what other sports are doing or are not doing. Um, I honestly, I'm pretty sure this is correct. I'm not hundred percent sure. I think the NHL is the only um, profession, major professional league of the four ones that does not actually have a domestic violence policy. Um, And I I know that it's been pressed and pressed upon from other people. Um, I know the NFL had to go through and, and like redo everything after what happened with Ray Rice, but it's like, you can look at what the other leagues are doing or what has happened there and see where they're either failing or where in the case, uh, you know, are succeeding and why they're succeeding and, you know, what's been effective for them and how can we use that and learn from that and make ourselves better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so excited to read the book for all you listeners out there. It's again, game misconduct, Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It, available for pre-order now and set to release in October. Thank you both so much for joining me. This has been awesome getting to chat with you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, we only really knew each other from uh, Twitter and uh, from Lawrence. And because of the pandemic, I mean, we'll probably, you know, once it's all, you know, or we'll cross paths it at some point. So, yeah. Yeah, we can all we can all get coffee or take those long sips of beer together. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. So great talking to both of them, getting their perspective, learning a little more about hockey beyond just learning what icing is, for example. Uh, and I do think there's a ton of crossover in battles that are being fought within hockey and baseball and society writ large but we'll just focus on 
on those two for now. Uh, I think that's that's enough of a challenge ahead, right? Instead of just tackling all of humanity. Um, but I really love that metaphor that Josh Fina brought up of the wall. And I think that's really applicable to Major League Baseball, too, where we <laughs> change is going to be slow and we need to understand what we're up against. And I say it's going to be slow. It has been slow, right? If you look back at the history of baseball, it's definitely a sport that in good ways and bad has really held on to tradition, right? But that's come out in some really ugly ways. And we need to understand that in order to, as she was saying with hockey, not just run head on into the wall and, you know, pop your shoulder out. Um, But, you know, it's also a thing where I do think we're making incremental change. I think, you know, just for example, and the one that I've written the most about in the past year and have the most personal experience about if we're talking about women within baseball. It wasn't that long ago that women were finally let into into clubhouses, right? Into the locker rooms. Um, go back to that first episode that I did with Claire Smith and she was kicked out of a of a locker room at one point. These things are not just, it's not just stuff that we're going to get over and get past, right? When it's great that we're starting to confront some of the sexual assault and sexual harassment that's happening within the sport. But we do have to understand that this is just the surface. And to bring back the wall metaphor, just to you know, beat that one uh, into the ground, we are just starting to chip away. And there's a lot more wall there. And it's going to be a brutal process. I know I have found myself feeling, frankly, exhausted while reporting on and writing about and talking about the various sexual harassment allegations that have come out in the last year. And I'm like, that's tough. But we'll keep going and we'll keep chipping away. And, you know, that's just one example, one very small example of a lot of things that baseball is starting to come to terms with, um, and, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll make progress, right? We'll answer that last part of the book title, the how to fix it, even if it's not fixing everything right now, even if it's beginning 
to fix several things and seeing how they go and continuing to work on them uh, indefinitely. That's uh, that's my hope, and that's where I think we can learn a ton from this conversation and their book and hockey. So that's been another edition of More Than a White Man's Game, a baseball and one-time hockey podcast on the House of L Network. Thanks so much to Lawrence Holmes for producing this show and for creating the network and all that he does to lift up young journalists and everyone within House of L. So thanks to you all for listening. Rate, subscribe, review, and I will see you next time.